Have you ever wondered what types of people influenced Paul or had an impact on his life? We're going to take a look at that today and talk about exactly why that is on BibleStudyPodcasts.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Wednesday, June the 20th of 2012. And as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for downloading this message. We're going to be covering kind of a big section of Scripture today, bigger than we usually do. We're going to be covering Romans chapter 16, verse 3, and going all the way up to Romans chapter 16, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up and uh, turn to Romans chapter 16, and we'll go ahead and get started with that here in just a minute. Um, yeah, this is my first podcast as a 40-something-year-old. I had my birthday last week, and, you know, growing up, you know, I, I remember always dreading 40, because 40 seemed like, well, you know, you're, you're halfway done with life. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was kind of the over-the-hill thing. That, that was what it was called. I remember my dad having his over-the-hill uh, birthday party and being really depressed about it. But honestly, uh, this was one of the best birthdays I've had. Um, I, I really felt like, uh, you know, I've... I've I might be halfway there. I might not be. You know, only the Lord knows. But um, you know, this is. I, I feel like we're in the best place that we've been, and we we love it up here in Washington. And uh, you know, my kids are in school, um, doing very well in school, and they're in schools that they're happy in. They've got a lot of friends. So, man, I I feel very blessed at this point in life. Uh, nothing to feel uh, depressed or sad about. So uh, anyway, for those of you who wish me happy birthday, either um, through email or uh, on Facebook, thank you guys so much. It was it was really a wonderful birthday. We've only got, if you can believe this, we've got two lessons left in our study on Romans. We've got this section that we're doing today in which Paul is going to send greetings to a bunch of people that he knew in the church in Rome. Uh, the next section is going to deal with just a, a quick, kind of a brief warning about uh, false Christians, about fake Christians infiltrating uh, the ranks of the church, and then a final benediction. So after today, we've only got two lessons left. We will be finishing within the next month, uh, which is exciting and kind of nerve-wracking at the same time. Um, I'm, I'm still not sure if we're going to be doing, uh, you know, or what the next study that we're going to be doing is going to be. I know that my plans at this point are to redo uh, the first couple of chapters, because honestly, man, those are just so embarrassing for me to listen to. I was just figuring this podcasting thing out at the time. Uh, honestly, I was kind of, uh, you know, figuring out this whole teaching thing, and, you know, it, if you listen to the old lessons and, and listen all the way through, you know, all these lessons, you know, a couple hundred lessons in Romans, uh, I think you can see that my uh, my gifting as a teacher has definitely developed as a result of this ministry. So, um, yeah, my plan is to uh, start off by redoing those first couple of chapters and also add an introduction lesson as well. Anyway, we have a, a long uh, a long passage to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started with that with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the time that you've given us to study your word here, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, use these things to show us 
what a healthy glimpse of the church would look like. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we've come to the 16th chapter of the book of Romans, you know, we've already made note of the fact that the teaching portions, for, for the most part, let me just say that, the teaching portions for the most part uh, are behind us. There's actually one more very small um, portion of instruction, which consists of just a brief warning, uh, and that's what we're going to be covering in our next Romans lesson. But the majority of this final chapter of the book of Romans is actually, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you can almost imagine that Paul is seriously taking some time to quickly reflect back on a number of people who have made a significant impact in his life in one way or another. And, you know, in our previous lesson, we saw that Paul had sent this letter to the Roman church in the hands of a faithful woman named Phoebe. And thus Paul first commended her to them. That was what he did in the first couple of verses. He commended her to them, which was something that early Christians did as a way of verifying that the unknown follower of Jesus who was coming into their midst was a legitimate disciple of Jesus rather than being someone who was acting on behalf of the enemy of God and who was there to just cause disturbances and disruptions and maybe even infiltrate the ranks of the church. But on the heels of this commendation, Paul's going to send greetings to everyone, apparently everyone, he knows who's a part of the church in Rome. And there's no question that this was one of the largest churches of the first century, if not the largest. After all, we know how significant the city of Rome is in Christian history, even to this day. But as Phoebe is preparing to leave for Rome soon, maybe the next day, maybe the next week, maybe as soon as this letter's finished, you know, we don't know. But as she's preparing to leave for Rome soon, Paul winds down the letter, the greatest letter ever written, by giving us some amazing insight to the type of relationships, the type of fellowship, intimate fellowship that the early church had in the first century. And what strikes me as truly amazing as we look at this list of people to whom Paul sends his greeting is just the humble heart that Paul had. You know, he realized that Jesus spoke uh, literal absolute truth when he said that apart from him, we can do nothing. Of course, that's from John chapter 15, verse 5. And yet, Paul's letters have been read in more languages than any other author in human history. Is that cool or what? You know, his letters have had a far greater impact, a far greater effect on the world than any of his previous or contemporary pagan writers and philosophers. I mean, think about it. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, these were all guys who had immense impacts on the way that people think, but I don't think that any of them compare to the effect that Paul had on the world through his writings. And yet, instead of being proud, instead of being boastful, Paul has the heart of a servant. He was a servant at heart. He loved to serve others. And the fact that he loved to serve others as much as he did is as strong an indication as any of his deep, deep love for Jesus. Because the truth is that we will become like the things or the people that we admire and worship. Paul obviously admired and worshiped Jesus above and beyond anything else. Now, as Paul served and served 
and served. Uh, you know, a lot of people served beside him, following his example as he followed the example of Jesus. And several of those people have apparently ended up in Rome. And so thus we continue in our study of Romans at verse 3 through the beginning of verse 5, reading, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Also greet the church that is in their house. Now we should remember that Priscilla and Aquila were first mentioned in the book of Acts. When they're first introduced to us in Acts chapter 18, we find out that they were Jews who had been driven out of Rome by an edict given by uh, Emperor Claudius. From there, they evacuated the city um, and went to Corinth, where they settled as tent makers. And lo and behold, guess who else was a tent maker? Paul. Paul, too, was a tent maker, and so it wasn't long before he had shared the gospel with them and had seen them, witnessed them, as they put their faith in Jesus. And Paul soon moved in with them, and their home was probably where the first church, the first house church in the city of Corinth was established. And two years later, uh, we read in the book of Acts that Paul left the city of Corinth, and he moved to Ephesus, and Priscilla and Aquila relocated with him, where once again, they started a house church. After many years of listening and learning from Paul's uh, teaching of the gospel, Priscilla and Aquila were so firmly grounded in the scriptures that when they heard this fantastic, flamboyant, uh, very gifted preacher named Apollos teaching an incomplete gospel message, they recognized his error. They gracefully invited him over for dinner, which is an amazingly wise and kind gesture. And they corrected his doctrine, his, his understanding. He had been teaching the same message that John the Baptist had taught, that people need to repent and turn from their sins because there was the Messiah who was coming. And Priscilla and Aquila were the ones who told Apollos that that one, that the Messiah had come, had died for our sins, and that he'd been raised from the dead on the third day. And so Apollos went on to have this, uh, you know, this great ministry, one of the greatest ministries of the first century, and he made an enormous impact on people in the church in Corinth, especially. And it wouldn't have been so if Priscilla and Aquila hadn't filled Apollos in on the fact that the Messiah had already come. Priscilla and Aquila at some point apparently moved back to the city in Rome. We don't know when, we don't know why, but the fact that greetings are first sent to them indicates that they were probably the hosts of the first house church in the city of Rome, the house where this letter would arrive. And without a doubt, Priscilla and Aquila were two of the most influential followers of Jesus in the entire first century. And notice, notice that Every time they're listed, almost every time they're listed, Priscilla is named first. Usually, you know, when a husband and wife are mentioned, the husband is named first. And this seems to be a pretty good indication that it was actually Priscilla who was the one who had the gift of teaching. Now, we know that there were many, many women in the early church whose husbands were not believers, something that we can gather not only from Peter, but also from books like 1 Thessalonians. And so thus, it was necessary for God to appoint a woman as one of the great teachers of the early church, because it was typically socially unacceptable for a married woman to become close friends with a man that her husband didn't know or respect. Now, Priscilla may have been one of the primary reasons that there were so many women 
in the early church. Now let's continue by looking at the people to whom Paul continues to send his greetings. He says in the second part of verse 5, and I'm going to trash this guy's name because <laughs> it's a tough one. He says, Greet Aponidas, my beloved, who is the first convert to Christ from Asia. Now the capital city of Asia in the first century was Ephesus. And so this was a man whom Paul would never forget because he was the first person in Ephesus who came to faith in Jesus. Paul led thousands of people to put their faith in Jesus, but you never forget the first one. And so because of the faith that Aponidas had placed in Jesus when nobody else around did, Paul lists him second here, indicating that he was worthy of holding a place of great honor in the eyes of other followers of Jesus. And apparently... This man has also traveled west and ended up in Rome. We continue in verse 6 where Paul says, Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Now we can't really be exactly sure about who Mary is. Some commentators believe that Paul has placed her just under the name of Aponidas because she was his wife, but some believe that she held a high position in the church based on her service. Mary was a very common uh, first century name, so it may or may not be one of the women who personally knew Jesus that we read about in the Gospels. Uh, But don't miss the fact that her gifting wasn't teaching or evangelism. You know, people with those gifts tend to get a lot of attention, but part of the reason that they're able to gather attention, those people who have gifts in teaching or evangelism, is because of the people who are gifted at helping and serving supporting them. You know, I've never viewed this ministry, Bible Study Podcasts, uh, as my own. I've always said that I'm not exactly sure why people have listened over the years, because there are plenty of guys out there who are much more interesting to listen to than I am. That's the truth, you know. They've simply developed and and grown more in their gifting as teachers than, than I have. But this ministry wouldn't even exist if it were not for the work that my good friend Jamie has invested in this ministry. You know, when I first started doing podcasts, it was when MySpace was still popular, and I was posting them uh, from a free server onto my MySpace page. And it was Jamie's idea that I get a website and put the podcasts on iTunes. And, you know, of course, I had no idea how to do any of that. It was amazing that I even figured out how to podcast. But Jamie, uh, at the time, he was working for Microsoft and was, um, and, and still is, as tech-savvy as they come. And so he put the website up, he taught me how to upload lessons, and he got everything connected to iTunes. You know, Jamie is kind of like my Barnabas. He encouraged me and believed in me when nobody else, including myself, did. But he also did, and still does for this ministry, what Mary did for the early Roman church. The work behind the scenes. The stuff that really doesn't get recognized all that often, but which is the stuff that allows anything to happen in the first place. So, thank you, Jamie, from the bottom of my heart. Seriously, thank you. Let's continue reading. Verse uh, verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Now this is interesting, because when we first meet Paul, he's known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was persecuting Christians, right? And here we find that he's got these relatives, that's what the term kinsman indicates, he's got these relatives of his who were followers of Jesus before he was. And as he persecuted Christians, 
man, it must have really gotten under his skin. It must have really irked him that some people in his family were joining this branch of Jews who were proclaiming the coming of the Messiah and the gospel of his grace. And I have no doubt that Andronicus and Junius paved the way for Saul coming to faith by praying for him. And of course, those prayers were answered when Saul was confronted by the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus. You know, it's a great comfort to know that people were praying for me too before I came to Christ. You know what I mean? I mean, undoubtedly my parents, but others as well. Who are you praying for to come to faith? You know, if there's nobody who comes to mind, I would just encourage you, you know, find someone. It can be a family member, or it can be the clerk at the grocery store. But if Jesus' mission was to seek and save the lost, that's our mission as well, and it has to start with prayer. And look at it this way. Whoever you choose to pray for, they probably don't hate Christianity as much as Paul did, or Saul of Tarsus did back in the first century. But definitely, it is Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. It's our mission, too, and it starts with prayer. Paul continues, writing, Greet Ampliatus my beloved in the Lord. Now, we don't know a whole lot about this man named Ampliatus. This is the one and only mention that he has in all of Scripture. However, in the city of Rome today, there is a tomb that's marked Ampliatus. The fact that his name consists of only one word tells historians that this guy was probably a slave. He was probably a servant to somebody who was much wealthier. Maybe he owed a debt. We don't know. But his tomb is done very, very, uh, very nicely, which is unlike that of a slave, and which indicates that the man was probably uh, a very prominent early follower of Jesus. Now, we can't be sure that the tomb belongs to the same person, but let's face it, Ampliatus wasn't exactly a common name, and so there's good reason to believe that it's actually the same person. Yeah, you can go and visit his tomb today. So therefore, even though this man was a slave, we can believe with a fairly high degree of certainty that he had an immense impact on the early church in Rome. Ampliatus is therefore proof that you can serve the body of Christ despite any and all circumstances which you think might or should prevent you from doing so. Next, Paul says, Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. And again, we don't know a whole lot about these people other than what Paul tells us here. Urbanus joined Paul's team of missionaries at some point, although we have no idea when or where that might have been, but we do know that at some point he left Paul's side and he has now relocated to the city of Rome, as Paul writes this letter, where he continued to help grow the early church. And so Paul continues writing, Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. Wow, the approved in Christ. How would you like to be remembered as the one who's known as the approved in Christ? Maybe you guys have seen it, maybe you haven't, but there's this uh, serial commercial out there with the slogan, Kid Tested, Mom Approved. And here's a guy who's been tested by the circumstances in life and approved in Christ. I'll have to tell my wife that that's what I want on my tombstone. Tested by the world, approved in Christ. I can't think of anything better than that. And my hope is that my work in Christ and my life in Christ indeed attest to the truth of that statement. Paul continues, writing, Greet those who are of the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. Greet those of the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. 
So Paul sends greetings to the household of Aristobulus. William Barclay, who is one of the greatest commentators out there, tells us that there's plenty of good reason to believe that this man was probably actually the grandson of King Herod. The fact that greetings are sent to all in his household support this because that includes not only him and his family, but it also indicates that there existed a number of servants in his house as well. So how awesome, how wonderful is it to know that the early church had someone so influential, politically and socially influential in their ranks, someone who could be heard by the emperor of Rome anytime he wanted to be heard, and who probably did a lot to help protect the early house churches of Rome from persecution. And how interesting that Aristobulus is mentioned before Herodian, who is not only a blood relative of Herod, but also apparently a blood relative of Paul. And this adds to the likelihood that Aristobulus was indeed the grandson of King Herod. How interesting to see that there were some people in the early church who held a lot of political and social influence and power. So Paul also sends greetings to those who are of the household of Narcissus. But notice the qualifier there. He says to those who are in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. So apparently this was another very socially affluent, influential follower of Jesus, whose household was actually divided. And this very well could have been the same Narcissus who was the personal secretary of Emperor Claudius, who preceded Nero. And of course, Nero is famous, he's notorious for his persecution of Christians, but Narcissus and a few others may have prevented Claudius from persecuting first. So Paul continues, he says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. So here Paul sends greetings to three more women who had labored behind the scenes. And while many uh, may have missed the contributions that they made, Paul didn't. He knew that without servants who were gifted at helping, nothing would happen. Nothing would be accomplished. Now the names Tryphena and Tryphosa indicate that they were of the highest social class, and yet they understood that greatness in the kingdom was not like how it works in the world. The high class in the kingdom are those who are the least, the ones who dedicate themselves to service rather than to being served. Now, given their great and noteworthy work for the church in Rome, they were undoubtedly not your typical aristocrats, but they were high-class followers of Jesus because of their dedicated service. And note that they're mentioned in the same breath as Persis, whose name doesn't indicate a high social class, but whose service earned her the same recognition as Tryphena and Tryphosa, who were born into a high social class. And that's a picture of the way that the kingdom is supposed to work. There's no difference between the rich and the poor or anything else. Everyone is equal in Christ Jesus. And that's a picture that Paul gives us right there. Let's continue. Verse 13. He writes, Greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, also his mother and mine. Now, who was Rufus? Actually, this is kind of cool. If you look at Mark chapter 15, verse 21, you'll find out that he was actually the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who had the honor of helping Jesus carry his cross to Calvary. Wow. This is the guy, that, that's the offspring of the guy who helped 
Jesus carry the cross. And Rufus would go on to be a man of great influence in the early church. And his mother was yet another great servant of the early church. So apparently at some time she had taken care of Paul the way that one would only expect a mother to. And they've ended up back in Rome. Paul continues, verses 14 to 16, writing, Greet Ascronitus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobos, Hermos, and the other brethren with them. Greet Philologos and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Now, just an interesting note on the name Philologos. It probably was not his real name. This is probably a nickname, just like Barnabas. Uh, you know, that was a nickname. It meant the son of encouragement. Um, the, the word Philologos means lover of the word. Philo is love. Logos is word. So lover of the word. And that indicates that this was a guy who loved to hear the word of God taught so much that he became known as Philologos or lover of the word. But you know, what we see here is that there were no lone rangers in the early church. The early church was a group that was tightly, tightly knit together through close personal relationships. This wasn't a church that needed Paul to come in and restore order. This wasn't a church that needed Paul to come in and set things up or to correct doctrine. You know, they were already firmly established and had an abundance of influence because they had an abundance of helpers from all walks of life. You know, these are all people who had impacted Paul's life and to whom Paul felt a high degree of gratitude. Let me ask you, as you look back on your life, who would receive such honors from you? You know, as I look back on my life, there, there are several people that I'd have to list if I were to list all the people who have helped uh, and influenced me over the years in my walk with the Lord. You know, from, from Beth Buzzkirk, who was a friend of mine in college, who brought me to an evangelical free church in Thousand Oaks, California when I was a junior in college, which is where I first put my faith in Christ, to Steve Larson who was the pastor of that church, and who not only was the man who led me to faith in Christ, but he also invested greatly in me as a young follower of Jesus. He's the one who encouraged me to develop my leadership, to develop my gifting as a teacher. He's the one who wrote my recommendation for Dallas Theological Seminary, and so on and so forth. So I owe a great amount of gratitude to him as well. Uh, Also, Dr. Leventhal, who was one of my seminary professors, You know, when I went to Southern Evangelical Seminary, what I was hoping was to glean a lot of wisdom and, uh, you know, apologetics stuff from Norman Geisler, and and I did, but really it was Dr. Leventhal, whose heart for the Lord and for shepherding followers of Jesus, he's the one who had a greater impact on me than almost anyone I've ever met. And of course, I've got to throw my wife in with this group of people who have impacted me too, because she's seen me. And she's loved me through good times and bad. She's seen me in the mountains, you know, in the mountain peaks, and she's seen me in the valleys. She's seen me struggle, and she's seen me thrive as far as my spiritual walk goes. Without her, you know, none of this ever, I wouldn't be where I am. None of this ever would have happened. So to my wife, Christina, thank you so much. You know, as far as this ministry goes, you know, I might be the person that you hear every week, but this ministry wouldn't even exist if it weren't for not only Jamie, but also for every one of you who have faithfully supported this ministry through the years. 
you know, my position as a pastor honestly doesn't pay very much. And if it weren't for the faithful giving of just a few of you, I wouldn't be able to meet the $250 monthly server fee. Fewer than 1% of our listeners have given to this ministry. But for those of you who have, let me tell you this. And I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This ministry is as much the result of my work as it is of your giving. And I am thrilled to know, and I really believe this, that any rewards in heaven that might be given for any fruit of this ministry, man, that's going to be a reward that I won't receive all by myself. I'm convinced that those of you who have supported this ministry are going to be partaking of those rewards equally with me. And you know, as I look back on my life, the list could really go on and on. And it's good for me to spend time reflecting on these types of things, but I don't want to spend any more of your time doing so, because we all have a mission to attend to, seeking and saving the lost. And maybe someday, when the people you're serving look back on the people who have influenced them greatly, maybe you will have the great honor of having your name on their lists too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this insight that we have into the early church, seeing the immense amount of teamwork that was going on, that it was really a a very complicated uh, infrastructure of helpers and servants who all worked together for one great cause, and that is making your name known. God, my prayer today is just that you would make us people who are influential, that you would teach us to have the heart of a servant in order that we could have an impact on people's lives. God, I thank you that I am not alone in making this ministry happen. I realize, Lord, that it's a result of you and the work that you've done in people's hearts, uh, nudging them to support this ministry. God, you, you deserve all the glory and we give you all the glory for it. I pray, Lord, that as we work toward the end of this book, our lives would just be continually transformed by your word, And that that would play out in our lives, that we would become people of impact for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. After my heart, but you were the one whose beauty shines on time after time. You gave it up. Laid it all down, longing to hear me speak.